Good morning. My name is gossip. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength with age. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. I flourish at every level of society. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name and no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I am nobody's friend. Once I tarnish a reputation, it is never the same. I topple governments and ruin marriages. I ruin careers and cause sleepless nights, heartache, and indigestion. I spawn suspicion and generate grief. I make innocent people cry in their pillows. Even my name hisses. I am called gossip. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the reflection of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight and that through the revelation of the scriptures that you would give light and understanding and conviction and transformation to our hearts, our conversations and our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. That opening statement, of course, was not our scriptural text. I believe the author is unknown, but it does relate to the uh, topic I want to address this morning. Uh, we're dealing with part four of an earnest appeal to preserve and promote true peace within the body of Christ. And this sermon today is kind of like the other side of the coin of last week. Last week, the, the encouragement last week was speak directly to the person with whom you are having conflict. Okay? So the focus of this week's sermon is the other side of the coin. Do not speak negatively about the person with whom you are having conflict to other people. Now, while the instruction that I'm going to give today relates to uh, a, a, you know, a wide variety of circumstances, I'm particularly interested in the kind of gossip that arises out of the unresolved conflicts among us. Uh, turn to Leviticus chapter 19, I want to I start there very briefly and kind of springboard from there into the rest of the sermon. And what I want you to see is just this little connection that not addressing conflict God's way creates a recipe for all kinds of gossip and critical speech and backbiting to take place within the body of Christ, or within any, within any other setting for that matter, but I'm, of course, particularly interested in the church family. So it says in Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Isn't it interesting that the commandment that Jesus identifies as the second most important commandment in all of Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is given as part of this instruction to deal frankly, to speak frankly with, or to to rebuke uh, openly your neighbor, the one with whom you have conflict, the one against whom you have a, a grievance or offense. And so often we, we adopt a, a secular or a sentimental view of love, but according to God's word, the path of love is to speak directly with and frankly with the neighbor with whom we're having conflict. That is loving. What is not loving is to not do that, and when you don't do that, according to this passage, you're actually hating your brother, and not only that, you're actually setting yourself up for toxic emotions to lodge deeply in your heart such that you would want to take vengeance upon your neighbor or that you would hold a grudge against him. And my, my, my contention this morning, simply enough, is that if we're, if we're not walking in love by speaking frankly with the people that we have conflict then, then, then this, this hateful, vengeance, grudge-bearing mix that's going on within our hearts is very frequently going to find another release valve <laughs> and not a good one as you share and overshare with your neighbor. So here's the, here's the reality if you don't handle conflict God's way, then you will handle it your way. If you don't deal with your complaint, grievance, or offense God's way, then you will deal with it your way. And if you have a complaint, grievance, or offense, then obviously it's, it's, it's bothering you. And if you can't humbly, gently, and patiently forbear such that the issue is a non-issue, and, and you're, you're, you're bothered, and you're stirred up, and you're thinking about it a lot, and chewing on it a lot, then that concern is not going to stay in your heart. And if that concern doesn't go where God has told you it should go, namely to him in prayer, and to the specific brother or sister with whom you have conflict, then oftentimes you will begin to use your tongue to criticize and tear down your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the, the misuse of the, of the tongue uh, can take many different forms. Uh, Jerry Bridges defines gossip as the spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is true. And he defines critical speech as negative comments about someone that may be actually true but doesn't need to be said. The dictionary defines backbiting as malicious talk about someone who is not present. Gossip, critical speech, and backbiting may all involve accurate information, but you have no business sharing it. The bottom line is that we are not permitted to use our tongues 
to tear down fellow believers. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, James 4.11. It is a misuse of your tongue to say bad things about your brother or sister to people that God has not authorized you to speak with about the matter. When you misuse your tongue in this way, in the midst of conflict, you're speaking negatively about the people with whom you have conflict instead of speaking respectfully to the people with whom you have conflict. Now, I just want to take a step back for just a moment and remind us all of God's high standard for us when it comes to what we do with our tongue, what we do with our speech. It says in Ephesians 4.29, Ephesians chapter 4 has kind of been like a, a springboard for this entire sermon series, and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 sets forth God's standard for us. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If all of us governed our speech according to this simple rule, what a difference it would make in our church family. All of our words would deliver gracious and timely edification to others, and none of our words would corrupt. Corrupt or rotten talk uh, undermines the church family. It tears down. It hinders, it spoils. Corrupting talk includes speaking falsehood, Ephesians 4.25, or any speaking that flows from the bitterness, wrath, and anger that are mentioned in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 4. And of particular interest to, in our sermon is the two forms of corrupt talk mentioned in verse 31 flowing out of bitterness and wrath and anger are clamor, loud, angry talk that stirs up and slander that tears down. Do you realize the power of the tongue? The power of your words. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share many Proverbs with you today because Proverbs is uh, a go-to book in the Bible when it comes to our regular interactions with other people, including our speech. Uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18.21. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, Proverbs 10.20. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, Proverbs 10.31. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin, Proverbs 13.3. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, Proverbs 12, 18. And with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, Proverbs eleven nine. 9. The tongue is such a small part of the human body, and yet it has an outsized influence, says James, right? Though ships are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The distance between your lips and hell 
is not much. Your mouth is a battle zone between the fire of hell and the glory of heaven. With your mouth, you have the capacity to bring forth life-giving words of wisdom, nourishment, and healing. And yet, with your very same mouth, you have the capacity to bring words that steal, kill, and destroy, words that are like a scorching fire, words that are like sword thrusts. All the words you ever speak, and I ever speak, will reveal the condition of our heart on the day of judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Either the record of your speech will demonstrate that you had a right relationship with the Father and you spoke accordingly, or the record of your speech will realize that you never got a transformed heart, but that you remained dead in your trespasses and sins. Your speech, its content, manner, and tone is a reliable indicator of your heart condition. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, James 1.26. So my goal in the rest of this sermon is to put a bad taste in your mouth for the sins of gossip, critical speech, and backbiting, for speaking about other people in such a way that you are putting them in a negative light in the minds of their neighbors without God's authorization to do so. Speaking negatively about other people is unauthorized speech. God hasn't authorized you to do it, except in very limited circumstances, and therefore you have no right to do it. It's that simple. Now, the deck is stacked against me and against you because we live in a society that thrives on spreading bad reports about other people. Isaiah said that he dwelt among a people of unclean lips, and so do we. We dwell among a people of unclean lips. Gossip thrives in media, politics, and social media. The sinful human heart has a perverse delight in digging up and pondering the dirt on other other people. And we should all acknowledge the fact that in our sinfulness, we know what that perverted delight is like. None of us are immune from that temptation. Instead of dealing honestly with our own dirt, the wicked heart wants to scoop up and consume dirt on other people. Why? Because we have unrighteous, calloused, and bored hearts. If our hearts were alive to the life-giving realities of the kingdom of God sweeping in and transforming lives, frankly, we would find gossip to be uninteresting, a lame distraction. If we understood that we were but humble sinners in desperate need of God's amazing grace and stunned by the fact that he clothes us unworthy sinners in his righteousness, then we wouldn't get self-righteous kicks out of beholding the unrighteousness of other people. And if if we had loving hearts, 
genuinely loving hearts, goodwill and kind to others, then we would not be okay with their dirty laundry being paraded in front of us. Proud, self-righteous hearts don't give a rip about the people whose dirt is dug up and shown to the world. And yet the spectacle is interesting to our dull heart. So, so we're, we're surrounded by so much negativity and putting others in a negative light and the gotcha game that uh, we have a lot to learn. But my concern is not society out there, but rather preserving and promoting true peace within the body of Christ. When you have a conflict with someone, when another person has sinned against you, when you have a grievance or offense, when you have a complaint or grumbling involving another person, if you don't deal with it God's way, then you will often deal with it by talking to other people about the issue, thus putting the person with whom you have conflict in a negative light. Um, And so you must learn to resolve the conflict God's way, either through forbearance, gracious forbearance, or through speaking directly to the person, all, all being aimed at loving confrontation and confession and repentance and reconciliation, all warm-hearted and desiring a whole relationship uh, between us. But if you don't do that, then the feeling of grievance or offense or complaint or frustration is brewing in your heart, and, and you're likely to spill the beans to people who have no business hearing about it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, all over the Proverbs here a little bit, but hopefully you'll be able to latch on to the concepts that we're discussing. So uh, first of all, we, we should aim to cover other people's offenses, not to reveal them to others. In the book of Proverbs, the desired goal of all conflict is to cover other people's dirt. We, we address people's dirt in a biblically responsible way, through patient forbearance or through confrontation and confession and repentance, and thereby we gladly cover other people's dirt with grace, mercy, and love. Covering other people's dirt is the opposite of broadcasting other people's dirt. Consider these passages. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses, Proverbs 10, 12. Or this, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Proverbs 11, verses 12 and 13. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17, 9. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19, 11. And then Proverbs 25, verses 7 to 10. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself. Sound familiar? And do not, reveal, do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and you will ha- and you will uh, have, have have and your ill repute will have no end. There is much to discuss here, 
But to begin with, I just want you to see the simple contrast between covering and revealing. Love covers all offenses. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. It is an act of love and goodwill to pour out grace, mercy, and forgiveness upon another person's failure or sinful deed. He who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. It is an act of faithfulness to be the sort of person who keeps another person's shame covered. Just like, remember Noah's two sons? Beautiful story in early on in the book of Genesis. They covered their father's shame. By contrast, to reveal another's secret is an act of hatred. Gossipers show themselves to be fools who lack good sense and who are unfaithful in spirit. Once again, the, the wisdom of the Proverbs directs us to speak directly to the person with whom we have conflict. Argue your case with your neighbor himself. And so just just at this first pass of these passages, I want it to be etched in our minds that we are not authorized to share other people's dirt, failings, weaknesses, offending actions, and shortcomings with other people. Confess your sins, not your neighbor's sins. You are authorized to speak directly with the neighbor with whom you have the issue. If, if that uh, if that conversation fails to make headway, then you are authorized to involve one or two other trustworthy persons in an attempt to work out the conflict. I would also say, as a matter of practical wisdom, that just as siblings, young siblings, may sometimes require the help of dad or mom to work out their dispute, so there are times when one Christian may need uh, wisdom and support from a pastor or from an elder or from another trustworthy man or woman in the congregation in order to walk through the peacemaking process. And, that, and, that's, and that's fine. But you are not authorized to share other people's dirt beyond that very limited circle. Rick Warren nails it when he says, quote, Gossip is passing on information when you are neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. If you're not part of the problem, you're not part of that very small group who's part of the solution, then you have no business sharing it, not with a friend over coffee, not your Bible study or prayer group, not anyone except that very limited circle. Now, Sharing another person's dirt is an act of hatred toward that person, okay? We need to understand stand this. The opposite of the love that covers is the hate that reveals. To open your mouth and display another person in a negative light is to belittle and despise your neighbor. Gossip is attacking another person's character and cutting down their reputation. As I have said before, the Ten Commandments uh, are not just a checklist of external sins to avoid, but the Ten Commandments actually invite us to reckon with the unrivaled worth of God. He's worthy of all our allegiance. Have no other gods before me. And it's also the Ten Commandments invite us to behold the dignity and value of our every neighbor. My neighbor has the right to enjoy his life. Do not murder. He has the right to enjoy his marriage. 
do not commit adultery. He has the right to enjoy his property. Do not steal. And he has the right to enjoy an honest reputation. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Therefore, my heart attitude ought to be that I want you to enjoy a good reputation in the community and that I will not tear down your reputation. If I do have to set myself against you, it will only be through the due process of church discipline or the due process of court proceedings. Otherwise, I want other people to have the opportunity to engage freely with you and interact with you without being hindered by any bad reports from me. I don't want your relationship with other people to be hindered or weakened simply because I had a bad interaction with you. Let that bad interaction with you be between you and me, not between you and anybody else. Therefore, not only will I not bear false witness against you, but I won't share negative information about you, however true the information might be because it's not my business to share. Love honors my imperfect neighbor by covering his dirt with grace. With, the, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered, Proverbs eleven nine. 9. A good question to ask yourself when you're speaking to or about other people is, are my words aimed at my neighbor's destruction and ruin? Or are my words aimed at my neighbor's deliverance, sanctification, and overall well-being? Not only is gossip an act of hatred toward the person I am gossiping about, but gossip also undermines the ability of other people to have good relationships with the person I'm gossiping about. And that undermines the relational integrity of the entire congregation. Consider. Proverbs 16, verses 27 and 28. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. And then from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord or strife among brothers. When you gossip or speak critically about other people, you, you do so with the expectation that the people you're talking to will sympathize with your frustrations, grievances, and complaints. And being the weak sinners that we are, we will typically side with the gossiper and develop a negative view of the person that the gossiper is talking about. Every hearer of the gossiper's gossip is therefore hindered in his ability to have a warm-hearted, unprejudiced love for the individual being gossiped about. And that's just plain wrong. Instead of keeping your mouth shut and seeking and finding reconciliation with the person with whom you have conflict and covering that person's fault with grace, now you are publicizing your grievance against the other person and publicizing the other person's fault. It is difficult for a community of believers to preserve and promote true peace when those with quarrels among them 
speak freely about their quarrels with other members of the community. Further, keep in mind, when you are in the midst of a quarrel or conflict with someone else, you're not at your level-headed, clear-sighted, objective best. When you're, when you're in that very frame of mind, you are likely to have a warped perspective on what's going on. Your, your, your fog-headed, subjective pain easily coming to the surface and exposing your personal bias against the other person. And at such times, you are really aiming only to honor yourself at the other person's expense. You're not aiming to honor the truth and God's design. So gossip, critical speech, and backbiting are not only acts of hatred against the person that you're speaking negatively about, and they're not only acts that undermine the ability of other people to have good relationships with the people that you're talking about, but also your negative talk is an act that corrupts the person you're talking to. To be a hearer of gossip is bad for the hearer. For one thing, it is not good to be drawn into somebody else's quarrel. Proverbs 26, verse 17 says, Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, I don't think this passing dog is, is a cute, cuddly little dog that wants to just lick your face, okay? Uh, think a, a fierce, wild dog with a powerful bite who doesn't want your foolish hands on his ears. And for all, for all kinds of reasons, it is dangerous for you to meddle in someone else's quarrel. How foolish then for me to tempt you and lure you to do what is not good for you by drawing you into my quarrel. This is not love. But when I gossip to you about someone else that I'm not happy with, that's what I'm doing. I'm putting your hand in the path of a fierce wild dog with a powerful bite. Now, if I may pass along a tidbit of wisdom that relates to a number of these passages. One of the most unfortunate things you can do is to take upon yourself somebody else's offense. If Bob has an issue with Rick and Bob tells Michael about it, and now Michael has an issue with Rick, then Michael has taken upon himself Bob's offense. Now, how in the world is Michael going to get reconciled to Rick? Of course, Bob should, have ne Bob should have never spilled the beans to Michael in the first place. But he did, and now it's a, now it's a mess. Charlotte and I have, have, have talked about these things, and... and uh, she wants little or nothing to do with any conflict that I have with somebody else because she's likely to be a sympathetic hearer to take my side and, and, and thus to, to, to be offended by the person I'm offended with. She doesn't want that. Just, just don't, don't, don't tell me. That's your conflict, Brian. You work out that conflict, because if she, takes, if she takes my offense upon herself, guess what? Maybe I've worked out the conflict with that brother, but she's still got a negative view of him. And it's really difficult for her to be reconciled. 
meddling in someone else's quarrel or getting drawn into someone else's conflict conflict is a bitter trap. Don't do it. For another thing, the dirt on other people is like chocolate-covered poison. Proverbs 26, 22, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body like junk food, like those sugary drinks. It gives a cheap and temporary satisfaction, but then it takes, takes root in the depths of your soul, and the toxins will diminish you, diminish your capacity to love, diminish your capacity to make peace and to extend grace and to give thanks. So gossip endangers the person who's hearing the gossip, damages the reputation of the person being gossiped about, undermines relationships involving the person who's being gossiped about and other members of the community. And then finally, to state the obvious, gossip is injurious to the gossiper. I mean, you really, you really don't want to go down this path, right? It says in Proverbs 20, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. So the gossiper, the critic-in-chief, the backbiter is walking into a world of trouble, and as is so often the case in terms of how God deals with our sin, the gossiper will ultimately get a taste of his own medicine. As it says in Proverbs 25, verses 9 and 10, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Here's the bottom line. Sooner or later, God will see to it that those who tear down the reputation of others will have their own reputation torn down. Gossip is not good for the gossiper. Now, with all that in mind, Scripture calls us to be an anti-gossip community. Honest discussion about people in conflict should be limited to those who are either part of the problem or part of the solution. Outside of that small number, it's none of your business. Expect that small number to tell you nothing and keep your ears closed. And, you know, we need to get in the habit if we're going to be an anti-gossip community. Each one of us needs to be a, like a, a point of redirection. If someone is, someone is beginning to wade into gossip with us, now we don't need to turn upon them like a fierce dog. Okay, we're all, we're all weak and struggling sinners and working out tough stuff, but we need to graciously redirect them. Like, no, that, that is not for you to share with me. I have no business hearing that, okay? You, you, you need to go talk with that person. We all, need to, we all need to be redirecting people to deal with conflict God's way. Let, we should not be hospitable to other people's gossip, which, as you can see, is bad for the whole community and really tears the whole community down. And by the way, if somebody is really a habitual gossip, among other things, you need to stay away from them. Um, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler, Proverbs 20, verse 19. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge, Proverbs 14, 7. You should reason to yourself that this person gossiping right now is a fool. If they were wise and walking in the ways of the Lord, they wouldn't be doing this. They're a fool. Redirect them, and if they won't be redirected, leave their presence. That's another way to be an anti-gossip community. 
Now, a couple rules of thumb before I get to the heart of this, the, really the heart of this message. If you don't have something good to say about someone, don't say anything at all. It's a really good rule of thumb. Another good rule of thumb is if you wouldn't say what you if you if you wouldn't say what you're about to say about someone in that person's presence, then don't say it in their absence. Although if you want to praise people behind their back, go right ahead. Now, any self-respecting community that wants to maintain good morale would strive to be an anti-gossip community, right? But our reasons for being an anti-gossip community go way beyond common sense or secular wisdom. So for us Christians, what is really at stake in the matter of gossip, critical speech, and backbiting is whether we truly understand the gospel and whether we see one another in light of the gospel. To begin with, the, the dignity of your neighbor, every neighbor, must weigh heavily upon you. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so, James 3, verses 9 and 10. Human beings are not annoyances. They are image bearers of Almighty God. And C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant conclusion to his brilliant essay, The Weight of Glory, urges us to remember that every human being with whom we interact is destined for either everlasting glory or everlasting horror. And C.S. Lewis urges us to conduct all of our dealings with other people in light of these awesome realities. He writes, all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Shall we so casually and cruelly cut other people down in the minds of other men? Brothers and sisters, you are a royal priesthood. Priestly Princes and princesses in the family of King Jesus. And you have a responsibility to love one another sincerely from the heart and with your mouth. You are not enemies to each other. You are not enemies to each other. And even if you were, which you're not, but even if you were, this rule would apply. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. I hope that no one among us will be found treating their enemies better than they treat their brothers and sisters. Never forget how your dear brother or sister, the very one with whom you may be having conflict at this very moment, never forget how your dear brother or sister entered into the royal priesthood. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, to him 
who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have a blessed Savior, the Lamb of God, who delights to cover all the iniquities of his people, to hide them behind his back, to bury them in the sea of forgetfulness, to remember your sins no more. He could come and embarrass and shame every single one of us because every single one of us has a record, long record of very unflattering sins. And he doesn't. Why would we? Your dear brother or sister is precious to the Lord, not because he or she has attained a certain level of practical righteousness, but because he or she is beloved, purchased by the blood, reclaimed by grace, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. As the hymn says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And you should understand that all of your speech takes place before the throne of God above. The Lord is a party to every transaction, every interaction, every careless word. Would you dare to use your tongue to dare to to tear down a brother or sister whose name is graven on the Savior's hands and whose name is written on the Savior's heart. You see, since we are a royal priesthood, our way of speaking to and about one another must reflect the attitude of our great and perfect high priest king, Jesus Christ. He is the great sin coverer the great heart healer, the great dirt remover, the great grace giver who takes joy in treating us far better than we deserve. And that reality must govern our heart and our tongue. When Christians are eager to find fault, dig up dirt, cast the first stone, cast aspersions on another's character, and use your words to diminish a brother or sister, they are demonstrating the very simple fact that they do not understand the gospel of God's grace. But when Christians stand before the Lord and say, as that hymn continues, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. When we do that, then we will be glad that all our imperfect and flawed brothers and sisters have the same great gospel privilege that we have. And then with humble adoration for the Savior's sin-removing sacrifice, we will gladly shut our mouths to gossip, critical speech, backbiting, and cursing others, and we will open wide our mouths to prayer and to bless others. As the Apostle Peter told us, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let's pray. Father, I pray that 
not only the rightness of holy speech and the wrongness of unrighteous speech would be present in our minds, but I pray deeper than that that we would grasp the gospel of your grace by which you sent your dear son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that all of our iniquities would be covered, forgiven, and remembered no more. And I pray that this that this gospel reality would sink down into the depths of our heart and transform the way that we see each other, the way we relate to each other, the way that we speak about each other, and the, the hopefulness and goodwill that we would rightly have toward each other as members of the same royal priesthood. Father, I pray that you would nourish us and strengthen us as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.